another episode of the Cardboard Heralds Off the Table. I am your loyal host, loyal, because I'm always here for you, Jack, and joining me is my co-host, John. How are you doing, John? Intrepid sidekick, I think is what you mean. Exactly. Uh, are you more the boy wonder type of sidekick? What kind of sidekick are we talking here? Um, Maybe an I'd like to Richter. think I'm, I'm kind of more the, the Wonder Woman to your Superman, right? Okay, uh, I'll, I'll take that. Um, there's a, a lot of, uh, I guess, repercussions for viewing it in that context. You know, it's, uh, I, I'm sure the psychiatrist would have a field day for how that shakes out. Maybe we can alternate who's Superman, who's Wonder Woman. But nonetheless, I'm glad that you're here. This show is us talking about board game news, discussion, focus topics, and just kind of hanging out. And today, our main topic, our our tour de force, I don't even think that's what a tour de force is, but for the purposes of this, is expansions. And specifically, the question is, expansions, are they good? But I had a couple things to talk about before we get into that, because uh, it's hot, not just outside here on this uh, Independence Day weekend in the United States which has been very hot here in Alaska, but uh, it's been hot in the world of board games. Um, John, people are mad at each other. They're, they're, well, they're, they're always mad about something, but you're going to have to clarify that. Uh, I see you've got a couple of points up here. It looks like someone's suing someone. Uh, yeah. Like uh, a Kinesia suit? What's going yeah, on there? There's a, there's a few lawsuits going on. So this Kinesia thing, uh, Reiner oh, Kinesia, oh. The, the good doctor of board games who has, I believe, over 500 designs, or at least that's what his site purports. Uh, you know, I think there's... Uh, some skepticism in like the exact number going on there. Maybe some of those are re-releases or something, but nonetheless, he is the most prolific and in some uh, lights the most influential board game designer uh, for the modern tabletop gaming hobby. And uh, there was this uh, bit of drama where Grail Games recently, I, I wanna say they're out of Australia, uh, had uh, announced that they were no longer going to be continuing the the, the Reinar Canizia products that they had because they weren't selling. They just weren't selling. And then Reinar Canizia and his company, his oeuvre, because you know Canizia is a brand, um, announces, hold on, <laughs> that's not true. You're no longer selling these things because you are in breach of contract. Don't go selling that it's because my games don't sell. Uh, and there was a lot of speculation back and forth as to like the legitimacy of either of these sides. It sounds like it's just kind of a, a mess in general, but uh, it came to a head with a lawsuit that was announced last week. And it looks like what ended up happening is Grail Games was selling outside of the regions that they're allowed to sell. So I don't know how inside baseball you are when it comes to board games, John, but there's like, you know, let's say I'm Ryan Arkanizia, uh, Jack R. Edizia, and uh, I have like this really cool game that is a beloved game and I own the rights to it which is kind of the goal, like the like creative people want to own the rights to the things that they've created. And Reiner Canizia licenses those games to different publishers saying that as long as you uphold this end of the contract, then it's going to be sold uh, in this specific way. Here's how much I get out of it, et cetera, et cetera. Minimum numbers of units sometimes come up, that kind of stuff. And it appears that Grail Games was like, even though you have a contract to sell in this region to this other company, we're also going to sell within that region. 
Um, we still are just on the outside looking in, right? We're just speculating, but it seems to be that's the case. And uh, uh, the way the wind is blowing is it looks like a lot of people are um, particularly disappointed in Grail Games, which was kind of a, a cool indie company up and coming uh has uh some recent releases that people really like but on the other hand people love Rainer Knizia <laughs> um he's one of the mainstays he, he's one of the OGs uh so it seems like there's some heat going on there in parallel to that we have another lawsuit where Asmodee and Amazon you know those those small mom and pop organizations have yeah. teamed up uh and are going after third-party sellers who are trying to you know maybe well maybe not trying to sell counterfeit products but are enabling counterfeit products to be sold on certainly less responsible or or accountable for the product that they sell right yeah have you seen any of the stuff about counterfeit games come up on like forums and that kind of stuff you know i i would love to hear about this one from people um in comments or chat because to be honest it's one of those those evil monsters i've read about the boogeyman in the closet i've never seen it myself it's got to be happening to somebody but i've never had the misfortune of encountering it so i wonder how ubiquitous it is and and what does that even look like is it is it like spooderman is that how bad it is or or is it mostly the same but like something seems a little off and like you know i don't know i'd love to see it there's actually uh someone that uh we know uh locally um teacher uh (laughs) of your kid uh uh, he ended up getting a copy of uh, Pandemic Legacy Season 1, which is one of the more infamously uh, counterfeit games. And you can tell that it's a counterfeit by the quality of components just universally are so much worse. Um, the, the cards are much more brittle. The colors on the printing are worse. The stickers are misaligned. And it's not like one specific issue where you know, you can identify that as a mistake, but across the board, it is clear that much, much cheaper products were used. And so I think the the prevailing theory is that uh, if there's like, say, five factories that make this game, that maybe one of the factories after hours then does a run with much more cheap materials and sells those as though they were the, the legitimate uh, copies. Either way, uh, you know, it's becoming more and more commonplace to see on Reddit or Board Game Geek or that kind of stuff, uh, people talking about counterfeit games. So it's a thing. Um, it's kind of weird to me. I mean, it's not surprising to me that Asmodee and Amazon are like, yo, third party seller, you got to crack down on this. We're suing you. But it seems like there really should be some internal measures to, you know, stop those from hitting the marketplace in the first place, you know? Yeah, I mean, I gotta wonder who bears the responsibility on that, and and where the source of the counterfeits are coming from. And that's, its, I feel like that might be its own big story there um, to dive into a little deeper. But I'm curious, who who, who are we suing here? If, if it's Amazon and, and Asmodee, those are the big daddies, right? So mm-hmm. who's who are they suing exactly? Right, right, right. Yeah, I think it's just third party sellers who, you know, on Amazon, you may see that it says Prime, or maybe it says, you know, like they're going to sell it plus five ninety nine shipping or something like that. And it's- but, you know, the, the, that's how they sneak in is Amazon has essentially made itself a marketplace where, you know, if I start a company, then I could sell through Amazon. Uh, so long as I am 
you know, adhering to their terms and conditions and everything. But, you know, maybe I get a little sneaky, get a little cheeky and throw in my my bunk copy of Root that's, you know, called Foot or something like that and uh, try to they're one of the more interesting uh, counterfeits which i think the the counterfeits when it is like a knockoff are genuinely interesting and there is a a wonderful um i want to say chinese uh copy of root that is an unofficial knockoff of the game and it's clear that that's exactly what the game is but um different artwork and different uh you know like uh uh setting and that kind of stuff but it is 100 percent um foot rather than root and i i love it i want to see more a lot of uh, marvel champions spooter man exactly we got to have the spooter man <laughs> uh and the last thing as far as like people getting angry you know people getting up in arms uh is this interesting thing be- uh, I-, I think it's most interesting to me because i i like uh, a gray area I like a good gray area and i think this could make a fantastic topic in and of itself to uh talk about like how the the legacy of a company or a creator we were just talking about reiner Knizia, how that impacts how we view the games that we play more and more uh it's becoming inescapable uh to consume some sort of media without knowing something having to do with it uh, and the, the reason this is coming up is TSR, uh, the, the makers of uh, famous games like Dragon Dice. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> the original makers, I, SFR makes Dragon Dice these days, very different company. But, um, you know, dra- the, the company that uh, created uh, Dungeons and Dragons, so monumental impact on the industry, eventually was bought by Wizards of Coast. Well, uh, Ernie Gygax, Gary Gygax's son, as well as uh, I believe a couple other people have gotten together and they're like, we have the new TSR. And this isn't the first time that TSR has been attempted to be resurrected. But uh, there's a, a bit of a, a, shall we say, shit storm of drama surrounding uh, this resurrection. Uh, they, they have no fantasy rpg coming out there's like a sci-fi kind of futuristic rpg that they're they're making their initial run and that looks fine and the designer um is a a good rpg designer but the the issue is is that there's a whole legacy of uncomfortableness uh surrounding um uncomfortability uh surrounding gary gygax uh his relationship to his wives uh his relationship to his daughters um who owns the rights of the company who actually contributed the most to uh the the creation of dungeons and dragons is he kind of like stan lee and stan lee being like yeah i created all these heroes whereas it's like "Mm, maybe it was a little bit more collaborative with jack kirby and steve ditko than you were giving uh some some uh initial impression on um or or you know getting back to like macintosh or any of those kind of things but nonetheless the the big claim of this new tsr was like we're making games great again we're bringing it back to the old days you know the old days when D was awesome uh, or rpgs were awesome and in 2021 that sort of sentiment uh especially uh after four years of uh, making things great again, <laughs> it, it's met with uh, some skepticism. And 
it seems like some of the creators have made some comments uh, in the past about the LGBTQ community, um, given some sort of signs that they'd be uh, less than welcoming to uh, certain creators uh, working for them or uh, for, you know, like RPGs are meant for this group of people. Right. And I think that creates drama in general, uh, nonetheless. Uh, and uh, the biggest thing is that their reaction was to double down, which isn't um, that always the case, though. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I mean, tell me, tell me, I'm wrong here, but isn't that what you usually see from that old mindset of, well, we need to revive a thing because the world is missing this thing that was great 30, 40, 50 years ago, however long ago, and we need to revive it. We need to, because what's out here now is garbage. We need to make it great again. Exactly. And whenever they're confronted on this idea of like, well, but don't you think that there were some problematic things that immediately it's like prying open the shell. If they had just never been asked a question, if you never asked these guys these questions, then you'd never know just how deep it runs if all you had to go on was their product but as soon as you start questioning them and they start actually having to defend themselves it opens up and you realize oh man they have some backwards ideas yeah 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 um i i put it in discord but they they had some pretty crazy tweets um on the new tsr account like one of them was essentially saying uh something like um uh, uh it was along the lines of um blaming Dungeons and Dragons uh, for uh, steering to, or, or blaming RPGs for steering too close to their uh, suburban roots is like blaming the um, trombone for being too German, talking about like polka music and that kind of stuff. Uh, and it, it just seemed so tone deaf as to being like, hey, we're just a bunch of white geeks hanging out with our guy friends and that's what we want to have. And hey, we just want to have a good time and don't blame us for that. Uh, in the face of people being like, is this legitimately different than how you you as individuals have portrayed yourselves in the past and how this company was? Because when TSR, when they're talking about going back to the glory days of Dungeons and Dragons and RPGs, um, and they do you know, talk a lot about Dungeons and Dragons, they're not distancing themselves from it. Um, it it's, uh, you know, they're talking about going back to days in which it was a much more exclusive environment that was not particularly welcoming, in which it was uh, a, a community uh, driven by white males in suburban neighborhoods, whereas uh, Dungeons and Dragons now, especially since fifth edition, has become this prolific thing that uh, has so many different creative individuals and anyone can be anyone within the, the scope of D&D or RPGs in general. And, and I think people thinking you know that they're talking about the glory days of this whole business uh just kind of leaves a, a bad taste in their mouths it's it's got a lot of I'll just, i think i think we could leave it off by saying you know it's it's got a lot of um greatest generation nostalgia golden haze sort of nostalgia where all you see is well the world banded together to defend ourselves from uh, world war ii and that was a time when americans knew how to do a hard day's work and it sounds good when when you have someone talking about that and then you're like yeah except that you know like half the population couldn't vote and you right, know right, there was right. and you just start listening so it's like you pick one thing to say well it was good because 
and you just want to exclude it, but you can't put it in a vacuum. And I think anybody with that mindset of we have to go back to make something better isn't looking forward. D&D is as, as good as it's ever been and better. It's as inclusive as, as it's ever been and 10 times more so. And it always has room to grow in that area. And, and that's a very divisive statement right there. Some people would say it hasn't done enough. And I would say, you know, it's, it's getting there, hopefully. Um, right. And it's come a long, long way from where it was. And I think it's better for it. And yeah. I, and, I, it, it's I, and honestly, I don't have to deal with Thacko anymore. Like who wants to go back to the glory days of Thacko, John? Yeah, we're not going, we're, we're not going back to when you had to multi-class to three different classes just to become a bard, which you didn't want to be anyway. Right, so, exactly. You know, well, the, the reason why it was most interesting to me, and I, I think this may be, you know, a topic for another day to dive into, but uh, recently I've been thinking a lot about death of the author as a concept, um, especially with all the controversy going on with like J.K. Rowling. Uh, and then also, you know, I, I've thought about this a lot with Orson Scott Card and the Ender series where, you know, like how much should we as consumers uh, of media divorce ourselves from the creative individuals who made them and what we know about them as well as their authorial intent. And board games are a different beast. You know, it's not the same thing as a book or a movie or a song, but it's still a creative work. And, you know, especially if there are living creators who you are uh, enabling to continue to have a platform, you know, like a, there's an argument to be made that uh, you should be more conscientious about the creators, but there's also just as much of an argument to be made to say, divorce yourself entirely from it. But I think that's an argument for another day. That That is Pandora's box of, of uh, talk show <laughs> topics there. Also, uh, I'm just going to make a strong recommendation. Don't take on the Potterheads, okay? J.K. Rowling is a divisive figure, but I, I'm making no statements about that because there's too many Harry Potter fans out there. Yeah. I don't want to come down on any side of that fence because there's no winning. Right, right, right. Uh, as long as we can agree that Snape was blameless. Uh, so, John, expansions. Uh, from the time that you and I have really been in the modern hobby gaming, expansions have been somewhat prolific, but they have only become more and more ubiquitous as you know, the last decade has gone on. And I've been thinking a lot about this more because you know, when I first started getting into games, I wanted every expansion uh, because initially I thought of them as extremely special. And if I liked a game good enough in order to buy a game, well, why not get the expansion, right? And let, let me ask you a question. Like, what's your history on computer gaming? Because to me, when I went into expansions, I was, a, a, in my early adulthood, was more of a PC gamer. And often to me, and this was before the era of DLC video game content. So it was, to me, an expansion was, you know, Diablo 2, you know, getting... Lord of, get, Lord of Destruction? Is that absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it was it was getting, you know, you get your, your 40 or $50, you know, PC game, whatever the price was at that time. And then you get your, like, your 20 25 $30 expansion that comes on and bolts on, like, another 30% more content or something. And it was getting to live more in this universe you were already just dying to get more of. And you couldn't wait for, you know, Diablo 3. You had to get more of Diablo 2 now, you know? And so... It was, it was easy to translate that to board games and just go crazy. Buying expansions is like, well, I love this board game, so I'm just going to... Expansions, man, got to get more of it. With, yeah. with no real thought about what was I expanding, what was the virtue, why should I own it, and, and all of those things, which we're now sort of reflecting on. 
when was the first time that you heard about board game expansions? Because for me, it was really early on. Uh, my brother kind of blew my mind because HeroQuest, even way back in the day, had expansions. And now they're worth like gajillions of dollars, far more than the actual base game copy of HeroQuest is. Uh, but I thought that was like such a novelty and a one-off thing. I didn't realize that it had you know persisted into other modern hobby games and i guess you could argue that magic the gathering kind of built itself upon expansions dungeons and dragons built itself upon expansions but that'll 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 kind of get into when we, if we talk about like what the virtues of different expansions are and what they bring to the table that kind of gets into like i almost don't even think of those as expansions because it's part of the business model of the game the game is an expanding living thing Whereas you think of a board game, if you take Risk off the shelf or whatever, you know, or, or maybe a long, long time ago, if you take Catan off the shelf, it was just this, this limited experience. Right. And I think that, I didn't even, you know, I, I, think, I think Catan was one of the early ones for me too, where I was like, oh my God, there's all these different, these aren't variants, these are, these are additional mechanics to attach to the original game. And you got to um, get them all. Let's get Seafarers in here. Let's get City right. of Knights in here. And suddenly the box doesn't contain it all. And you're like, I don't even like playing Catan anymore. Wait, and let's, let, I got to get <laughs> Catan. And then I got to make sure I have enough for five to six players. But then if I get Cities and Knights, I also have to get five to six player expansion for that. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, so like there was a lot of that early on. I didn't get too crazy on that one. But uh, but that was an early example of like, man, they, this is this is a whole in side industry of expanding my board games. So maybe not, um, you know, not something that you view as like monumental now, but like, can you think of a game where the expansion genuinely took the game to another level, like, and you could see that in real time, not just like Catan and adding more stuff into it, but like where you opened up this expansion, you're like, this took an okay game or a good game, and this made it so much better. And you got that feeling of completion from it um if i had to you know the one that jumps to my mind if i had to go back to it was bsg's um i i really think the pegasus expansion totally. did a lot for it and it which is funny because i also would list the bsg expansions on my list of some of the some of the don'ts in expansions yeah. <laughs> these days but some of what it did did it so well you know that specifically the treachery cards you know giving mm. giving trader players ways to interact with the game system other than just passively sinking these checks you had you had a way to really participate and feel like you're hey, I'm, I'm cutting wires in machines i'm i'm throwing wrenches into into work into the works you know and right. and that was something that like instantly it was an auto include for me yeah you know uh, we can get into this uh in a little bit here but i think what's interesting about that expansion as you call it out is it's one of those modular expansions which i think were more popular <laughs> five to ten years ago oh yeah uh, when it was just kind of like let's throw everything uh including the kitchen sink into this box and if people want to use it they can use it but for me that oftentimes represents like that's why it's on the don'ts this is four things I don't like and one that I love. And so I have a lot of unplayed with toys in the box, which is, which is a bummer to say the least when you have that going on. But, you know, the reason why I wanted to talk about expansions, um, I keep on looking up over here for the, the people watching. The which video. one are you, which one are you looking at right now? Um, expansion. 
Uh, I'm not actually looking at any expansion. I just tend to, uh, you know, muse while looking in a general upward direction. So um, a little quirk about me. You're getting a little bit of the flavor when you're on the actual live chat here. Um, but, uh, you know, the reason why I wanted to talk about expansions is the question, are expansions good? Uh, initially, I had it as are expansions bad, and I realized, you know what, that's a terrible question because I haven't. Well, an, that's an obvious answer. No, they're not. They're not bad. Right, but I think it's a lot more uh, thought provoking and interesting to ask: Are they good? Like, is it good for us as gamers? Is it good for this industry um, that we've evolved to? Games are essentially designed as platforms in order to serve subsequent expansions. I know that on uh, an interview that I did with um, Cole Worley and Patrick Leader. Um, for uh, the upcoming release of Oath uh, a while ago, uh, Cole Worley actually was like, I know I do expansions, you know, I have these root expansions I'm working on, but in truth, I don't really like expansions. I don't like the idea of games running in perpetuity. And so I only want to add something to a game if it feels truly meaningful. Otherwise, I would rather just work on an entirely new game. And I was like, I can get behind that. So when I ask the question to you, are expansions good? What does that bring to mind for you? So I guess the, the question is, is, you know, it's like it's a, it's a deeper question than just is it good? Is it good for who exactly or whom? Right. Um, right. For whom is it good for? <laughs> for <laughs> but whom that, does the expansion toll? I think that's part of the question you're asking is, you know, is it good for the industry? Well, I mean, anything that makes the industry money makes it, you know, makes it healthier, right? Sure. Um, but I think I imagine that for producers, there's a lot of risk and expansion. So, you know, that's that's its own question that I don't maybe have all the information on. But I would generally think that it's a sign of health in a game. If it has a good following, it tends to get an expansion. So mm -hmm. in that regards, maybe, yeah, it, it's good for the industry. Um, is it good for us as consumers? This goes back to the purge topic of do we need to own everything that's out there? And right. just like individual board games, no, I don't think we need to own every expansion. Mm -hmm. And that gets into really like, when is an expansion good? When is it good? And, and that's really what you're asking at the end of the day, I think, is, is like, when is an expansion a necessary or vital part of a game? Maybe necessary may be an exaggeration. I think if it's necessary, then you've done something wrong designing the game in the first place. So, so when you're checking out Kickstarter for the new hot takes, you know, the, the things that are going up there, the things that are preying on your FOMO, mm -hmm. um, and it says like, also you can pay $25 oh, yeah. to get a day one expansion add on. Does that make you skeptical of the completion of the original game? Like maybe they designed a complete game and then removed a section from it. Um, one of my, probably my favorite game, Spirit DLC Island. DLC moment right there. Yeah, Spirit Island, I know for fact was designed, uh, R. Eric Royce designed the game to include the Branch and Claw stuff. And then through iteration and talking with Greater Than Games, they decided, you know what, the, the event card thing is maybe a new level of complexity. Let's remove that whole thing and have the, the two factions that are going to interact with a lot of the stuff that um, the event claw or event claw that the event cards are going to interact with make that the branch and claw expansion 
and then kickstart that all at once. If people want the higher level thing, they can get it. Otherwise, it's just going to be the base game without it. And uh, I, I, I don't know. Like uh, that to me, I always feel like uh, there's something missing in that I'm not getting the the complete thing if from the get go. Uh, there's separate material that's being announced, but that is this like Skyrim horse armor. Buddy, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I like, mean, well, why don't, don't why don't the don't horses comparing Spirit Island to Skyrim to horse armor here? Branch branch and claws and horse armor. Um, but but it's that same idea of like I remember that that was that was the or was it is it was it even Skyrim? No, I'm thinking I'm thinking Oblivion, actually, aren't I? Yeah, yeah. Actually, you yeah. are. I'm thinking Oblivion there. horse armor. Yeah, I I got to go back another generation of that game so but the point of that was i'm not getting very much and it should have just been a part of the game or at least that was the outrage right sure. yeah. so so th there was both a value argument it's cosmetic only but also a, a well why why was why did you just take this out um right so so i would say a couple of things about that there's there's two sides of that there's the consumer side and the, the business side the, on the business side maybe it does make sense Maybe it makes sense in some cases where, I don't know, let's say you have a game that would otherwise you'd be, due to the economics of board game production, you'd have to retail it at 80 bucks, okay, as your, as your MSRP. And maybe maybe that somebody's done some research out there, like, what's the tipping point for a certain middleweight game? And 80 bucks is maybe just not, like, platinum selling material, right? That's mm -hmm. that's more elite says you need to have a name to sell an 80 so maybe you want to you want to get in that price point like that target price point. you want to be at $40 or $50 and so maybe by shaving off components you can do that and if you can do that organically well then maybe that makes sense to sell sort of a budget version of your game and honestly that could be a good thing for the consumer too because if you're someone who has a large collection maybe you don't need the exhaustive material maybe a, a $40 copy to dip your toe in is better than that $80 that's that's devil's advocate yeah, let's assume yeah, yeah. that's the motivation some of it there um, but then there's the other side of the point, which, okay, now I really am the devil here is it's more the FOMO. It is a tactic totally. because yeah. tons of research has been done at this point in Kickstarter. And one of the things that they have to do is they have to have a big day one launch. They have to be able to put up that sign that says funded in 16 minutes, you know, or 300% funded. That is, that is a gotta do if you're going to hit that like million dollar plus Kickstarter. But then the other thing they have to do is you can't taper off. So you have to have we're not even going to put all the add-ons on the screen day one. We're going to get everybody to back it day one. Then we're going to tell you about a day one, an expansion that will come with the game when you get it, that day one expansion. But we're not even going to tell you about it until halfway into the campaign because we need that extra surge of, oh, look, we just went from a million to 1.8 million. And now even more people are going to back it because it's like, oh, God, it's generating even more hype. That's more clicks. That's more talks. Uh, you know, it's more comments on BGG. And suddenly it's at number one on the hotness. And you've got to keep the hype high for that full 28 day you know uh campaign yeah i, I think that's a total play right out of the cmon playbook is to absolutely hidden stretch goals and everything where you don't even announce what the dollar value to reach the next stretch goal is until after the last one was reached so that way they can anticipate like what is the exact level we need to announce this at in order to continue drive um while ensuring that it's going to be successful at the schedule that we have for it so you know they they can fluctuate all those things as they go and the way you get to that next level is by releasing it's not just by getting new backers you know there's this argument that well you know if i'm backing it for 40 bucks 
And all of a sudden there's a stretch goal out there because you hit this $1.2 million mark. Well, maybe it's worth $40 for me now. Well, that's, that's probably they, I mean, they probably get new backers when they release those, those stretch goals. But the reality is, is when they release the stretch goals and then they offer an opportunity to unlock an add-on, for example, like, okay, well, we're at stretch goal 1.2 million and to get to 1.8, hey, guess what? We're going to sneak this add-on out there. All of the existing backers are now going to immediately get the add-on and then that right. stretch goal for 1.8 million is met, you know? So they yeah. give you a way to spend the money to get to the next goal and it just feeds the cycle. And I think in those cases, you could argue that the expansion becomes questionable it, it adds you know maybe the expansion is still good but it still makes it questionable you make the the motivation suspect yeah lewis in uh the live chat here actually calls out the game that i was exactly thinking of because you and i were talking about marvel champions or, or not marvel champions marvel united recently as a simon game and how much has been packed into that kickstarter and yeah that is that is exactly the model that i was talking about mm -hmm. speaking of live chat uh, Amelia has a really good question here, um, being unsure of what should expansions do? Like, you know, what, what's the intent of them coming out? Aside from make more money for the publishers, should they fix the game? Should they be kind of like the next step to the, the, the new uh, version of the game, essentially taking it to a, a new edition if you include the expansion? Or should they add gameplay, like fully introduce new elements? And I think you know, different situations call for different things. I mean, some of the best expansions like come to my mind, some of my favorite ones uh, are ones like Scoundrels of Skullport for, um, for uh, Lords of Waterdeep, which is one that actually introduces a whole new mechanic to the game, particularly the, the Skullport uh, corruption mechanic. And I, I think that is a fundamentally different and more interesting version of that game, just like Tuscany for Viticulture, makes it a fundamentally different and much more interesting game without uh, you know, having to revise all kinds of things from the, the original set. Um, but I, I don't know, like, are, are you uh, so purposeful when you think about expansions? Like what goes into your decisions when you're thinking about buying new expansions, John? Well, a lot of it goes into, I try, I, I, this far down the road, you might not think of it when you're building your collection as much, um, but I start to think about like how I would classify what an expansion does. And I look, you know, you're not always going to know when you're reading reviews or you're looking at a Kickstarter, especially, you're not always going to know, but you try to look for the elements that give you clues about this. So let's assume that I can gather some of this information. I look for what does an expansion do for the game? Right. Um, you know, if I don't already, or if I already own the game, and I think it's a good game, that that eliminates that question of does it fix it. So, because I did notice Emily asked that, you know, do I get a do I get an expansion that fixes a game? Well, I would argue that if you already own the game and you really want it to be good, well, of course, I would say yes, get the one that fixes it. If you're thinking of investing in the game for the first time and it requires an expansion to really quote unquote fix the game. Mm, yeah. Well, then you need to question whether the game could be, is there a better value game out there that doesn't need fixing from day one? Yeah, yeah. But but that that is kind of the negative side of it. So let's think about like, what, what expansions do I want? A um, Couple of good examples are things that add variety without adding complexity. I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, factions are a good example. Um, Marvel Champions is a great example of a type of thing or, or any of those types where they add, you know, I can play a new character. Well, it's the same yeah. rules. Now I've just got something interesting to, to play with here. 
Um, anything that adds, though, you know, deck building and army building components, you have, it's like the Magic the Gathering clutch. You really have to be invested in that game. So, you know, that may not be an opportunity to get into variety. Um, yeah. Well, I, I think uh, great examples of this, um, you know, uh, Spirit Island uh, introduced tons of new variety to uh, the game through new spirits being released either as promo packs or full-on expansions. You have Root, um, which fundamentally the game hasn't changed at all, but they've introduced uh, through expansions, new factions, as well as like interchangeable maps. So like the, the, the environment that you're playing is different, but the fundamental mechanics of the game remains constant. Well, and those, those would be on my list of a couple of the top tier Variety without necessarily adding extreme complexity. Um, Kemet was another one that I would call out as they have one of their original, the first edition, the Black Pyramids expansion, The black, specifically the Black Pyramids portion of that was tacking on this new set of powers, but not changing the rules of really how you utilize those things. And mm -hmm. that, it, it introduced what I think was probably the best state of play, having four options to select from so that not everybody would always pick the same three. And, and so that is an automatic include because of the kind of variety it adds. On the other hand, um, well, and, and to chime off on what you said, Spirit Island, that, that's great variety because the spirits, again, they had an interesting way to play, but they don't change the rules at all. Right. Aside from the other stuff that came out with the expansion, like right. the event cards and everything like that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so can you think of a game where, you know, you mentioned earlier, if you already had the game, then you would be tempted to buy an expansion that essentially like fixes it for you or, or keeps it in your collection. Uh, are there any of that you've actually done that with? To, to quote unquote fix a game? Yeah, to, to make the game, maybe it's not like a bad game, but it's a game that if you didn't have the expansion, that it would be one that you'd get rid of. But getting the expansion makes it something that yeah, it'd be worth uh, keeping this around. I would argue if you're on the verge of getting rid of a game, like it, it's out the door, then don't, you know, ha have that sunken cost fallacy of you're suddenly going to like a game so much that a game that you would normally get rid of that you're, you're now going to like it. I mean, I can see the argument that, you know, Tuscany, or I mentioned earlier, for a lot of people makes a bit of culture, you know, instead of a great game, it's suddenly like an excellent game. But if you're going like, man, I, I just am not feeling the vibe of, I don't know, um, let's say uh, Flamme Rouge. Uh, it's just not the game that you're loving. Don't look at an expansion to solve that for you. Uh, at, at that point, <laughs> the, the, if you're wanting it to change to a fundamentally different game and you're hoping that an expansion is going to do that for you, probably the more sure bet is to get uh, another game, which will be a fundamentally different game, and then wipe your hands clean. Don't invest more money in games that you don't like. And, and I, would, I would say the same thing, because I don't think I've ever had a game in my collection where it was so close to the threshold of I don't want to keep this game. Because if it gets to that clo that close to the threshold where only an expansion can save it, then it's probably already gone. Right. So for me, I would say I'm on the opposite side where I already really enjoy the game or, or enjoy it quite a bit, enough to keep it in the collection. And an expansion is an automatic include in the game mm -hmm. because it elevates the game to great. But I wouldn't get rid of the game without it. I still wouldn't play it without the expansion. And, and a great example for me is um, 
and there's certain assumption here. I'll just make this, this caveat up front is that um, we're assuming that you've played the game once maybe. And cause some of these, you know, you need a right. certain level of failure. I, I would always include the prelude expansion for terraforming Mars. Oh, Every time absolutely. I play it. Absolutely. Now I might not always include that with a brand new player because, you know, I mean, there's something to be said for choosing the beginner corporation just keeping it simple. But the second time they play, every single time I'm going to break out Prelude. And because that to me elevates the game, what is already a really good game, to a great game, uh, just by enhancing the types of decisions you get to make without adding complexity about what those decisions mean as far as building new systems, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's a great example of a modular, a modular expansion that you can bolt on, integrating it seamlessly without building a side minigame. By comparison, I'm pretty meh on the other three expansions yeah, so the, the they, major <laughs> they they kind of sit gathering dust in the box for me there are many games I'll, I'll break out one but the the way i've always described it is to me they make the game wider without making the game any deeper like there, there's nothing to me that um turmoil or you know uh the the colonies expansion or even um the venus next expansion it, nothing about it makes it a richer experience it makes it a bigger experience and i guess that can be interesting i i saw if what you want is bigger I saw at PlatypusCon someone playing with every terraforming Mars expansion last time I was there, uh, and that kind of blew my mind um, that someone uh, would say, you know what would be great is a five-player all-expansions game of terraforming Mars, um, but yeah, they, they don't really make the game fundamentally more interesting to me, uh, and I think the game already has a level of complexity that um adding into that complexity uh without you know giving you like avenues to channel that back into the the core experience uh detracts from the game it actually makes it a worse experience for me to play with those expansions in some in some cases especially when it's more than one of those Right. And, and, and if it's a, when it tacks on that side game where it's just like, well, now, uh, basically, if you ever find yourself feeling like I'm playing the main game over here, but now what this expansion does is it gives me this little sideboard to like keep track of and remember off to in the corner. <laughs> that is a good sign that it's probably just bolting on something it didn't need. And to me, it's like, there's a certain point you look, Coke is great, but if you add cherry, look, it's cherry Coke. And that's great too. But then if you start to add too many other flavors, you're just if I just if I add lemon lime, then I'm just gonna ask myself, well, that, that's first of all, that's kind of gross. Second of all, unless you're a kid and you're just running down the soda aisle at like you gotta have that suicide, John. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> have every single flavor. That was every one, time two. I went to Costco with my dad and I'd get a hot dog and I'd be like, I'm getting every single one of these, including diet coke. I don't know why I added diet coke to that, but it was part of the melange. <laughs> exactly. That's the only time it's acceptable though, because otherwise I just look at this and go, just drink a sprite if you really want lemon <laughs> lime so bad. And that's that's exactly it though. That's my analogy. It's, Sometimes when you look at a board game, you just go like, I am not so desperate to be playing Terraforming Mars that I want to tech on a game that involves uh, deck building or something. So, you know, if I want a mechanic that isn't in the base game and it doesn't lend itself to the, to the nature of what the game is already, and it just adds a mini game on the side, then I'm just going to maybe just place. That's why I have more board games. That's why I have more than one. If I could only ever own one game, well, sure, just keep adding expansions to it. But I'm never going to play enough of any one board game to deserve getting bored with. Mm, yeah um you know there there are some games uh where like you know they're not necessarily fixing the game but they there are 
kind of paying attention to like the creators are paying attention to some of the feedback to the original game. Uh, and I think this uh, came up by Lewis in the live chat again earlier. Um, and one that I can think of, uh, for example, is uh, Tapestry. Uh, Tapestry came out with the PP expansion. I don't know why they decided plans and ploys was the way to go and they print PP on every single one of their cards, but hey, you know, Stonemeyer, they- Because we're all 12 at that. heart, that's why. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but uh, one, they had some balance changes in the expansion, but they also introduced some things that were intended to kind of address some of the feedback. Um, Tapestry was a bit of a controversial game. I liked it, but I also recognize a lot of the problems with it. Um, so I didn't necessarily see that as like fixing the game, but I did appreciate that uh, the the expansion, you know, was trying to take into consideration uh, some of these uh, things uh, to make it, you know, go from a game that people think is like, it's good, but it, it's got some hankiness to it, to this is more of what the original pitch was and, you know, maybe a more balanced and cohesive uh, game. So it, it is nice when there there is some development on that kind of uh, stuff. But, um, you know, we, we've talked about a few different specific expansions here. Um, you mentioned always include expansions like, uh, like uh, Prelude. Uh, what about, like what are some of the expansions that you that you treasure at this point you know the the ones that really fleshed out the games that you already love best and give you more of what you want um well okay so i'm just gonna get this one out of the way because it's an eye roll uh <laughs> i am a big fan of cthulhu wars it's right. it's, it's, it's my big flagship game. it is at this point i'm just like i want to dump it all in a pile and right. roll around it like scrooge mcduck Okay, and there's enough of it at this point to do that. Um, so, so, so we're going to need that image for the Discord channel later. I, you know, I'm gonna get so I took some pictures of it. I, I had that moment, I didn't dive, I did not swan dive into it like a duck that doesn't wear pants. I, uh, I, I did put it all on the table behind me though, just to see it all out of the box at once. And I will put those pictures up on Discord because it is obscene. Um, but the cool thing about that is it's it's like root. It's asymmetric, right? It's mm -hmm. faction based, and right. that is what I love about the expansions is that so much of it is it it's all the same core gameplay mechanics. Almost none of it adds any new mechanics other than the specific rules about what your faction does, you know. But right. it's all still pay power to do this, take your turn like this, and so you can include any one of them you want. You can play as the bird people, the cat people. You can play mm. as the the vagabond. And it all feels good to just have that toolbox of, of fun. So setting that one aside, though, because that to me is almost not even an expansion. That's just like adding factions to something. Um, looking at some of the, the real expansions, I love Black Pyramids of Command. Mm -hmm. However, I did not like its original implementation where it tacked on a mini game. And so you got that, that board game box that had the thing you love and the thing you hate, right? And some of it collected dust. I love the second edition for including the Black Pyramids right out of the game. Because clearly, and, and it's a trend of you know, second editions picking up the best of the expansions or the essential edition, the Tuscany essential edition type, or the Viticulture rather, sorry. Right, right, <laughs> um, right, right. Uh, I would also throw in there um, the Spirit Island expansions, Prelude. Uh, we've covered a couple of them in particular. Um, I think I have a, a really passionate love for the Game of Thrones expansion. 
Yeah, well, I was actually going to to bring up uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, which expansion were you going to bring up? Mother of Dragons. Okay, yeah. So uh, Mother of Dragons is an interesting expansion because um, I, it's one. I actually haven't played Mother of Dragons yet. I own Mother of Dragons. And it's one of those ones where it demonstrates even my susceptibility to this like fear of missing out. That's even in retail. Um, you know, this wasn't a Kickstarter game or anything, but I realized, uh, I think early COVID early pandemic, you know, this expansion came out and it kind of fundamentally changes one of my favorite games of all time. And I don't want it to sell poorly and to have Fantasy Flight just like can their whole infrastructure when it comes to the the Game of Thrones franchise, uh, especially after season eight and all of that debacle. <laughs> and so I, I want I don't even know when the next time I'm going to be able to play this, let alone play games with anyone who doesn't live in my household. So I'm, I'm going to buy this thing and I still haven't played it, but it is sitting around in a box. And I, I think that to me represents this whole weird feeling that I have towards expansions, you know, like this, this necessity to complete the things that I own and love. And as much as I try to mature and separate myself from this idea of I need to have everything associated with the things I love, like toys and bikes and comic books and, you know, books and board games, um, that's still a part of me. And I still have this, you know, gut reaction of I better pick it up, even <laughs> if I don't know that it's going to make the game better, even if I don't know that I'm going to play it. Um, game of Thrones is in a unique place because it's a franchise that I, I hold really dear. I have a lot of great memories in playing it um, with you and uh, our game group. Uh, and it's a game that I don't think is going to leave my collection anytime soon. But nonetheless, um, I, I have a degree of resentment in me towards me and what that that expansion represents that I got to get it. I got to get it. I got to get it and put it in the well, box and never play with it. And, and I'll be honest, I actually brought that one up because I was I was kind of hoping that you would say that because that is my feeling about it, too. I may never play uh, Mother of Dragons enough to justify buying it. I might get it played a couple times in my life for all I know. Right. Um, but it's one of those rare times where I actually gave myself permission because I, this far down the road, I absolutely have a, am of that mindset that you are where it's like, I've let go of the idea that I need to have a hundred percent of every game I own. I don't, I need to have a hundred percent of the things that bring the best value. And, um, and to me, this one may not be a value proposition because it, it costs X amount of dollars and it takes up X amount of space and it may never get played to the degree that justifies those things. But mm -hmm. I do care about this game enough that I actually take pleasure in just owning the, the complete set of this thing. It's one of the rare times I give myself permission. That's why I wanted to bring that up because I don't do that anymore for games. Um, and my, my big example is the Seven Wonders was one of the games I added to my collection early on. Mm -hmm. And that was actually one of the games that I originally started expanding immediately. You know, as soon as, as soon as they came out with expansions, like, well, okay, I'll add city and I'll add, I'll add the leaders. And then I'll, Oh, oh Babel, that's got a whole, that's, it's, it's got the whole card. So you got yeah. whole, like eight and a half Giant by 11 cards. sheets of paper. Um, and, and I build a, a tower 
kind of. I mean, it's a very flat tower, but it's a tower. There's um, dimension to it. Right. So the, it adds all this stuff. I don't think I've ever played Fable. And I definitely, when I saw Armada came out, I mean, that was, a, what, a couple of years ago now. Um, God, maybe even like four or five. And when that started, when that was coming out, I, my first reaction was, ooh, another expansion to a game I own. And reality kicked in pretty quickly after that, where it's just like, except I didn't play the last expansion. And I don't often play leaders and, and cities. In fact, I, I really break out Seven Wonders is kind of one of my entry games to get people into gaming and stuff because it's a great game and I can just play the base game. And, and that gives me what I like about Seven Wonders without needing all this extra stuff. Hmm. Right. If I were someone who owned 10 board games and those were the only 10 games I owned and I played Seven Wonders to death, I might own all the expansions. But I could probably give away all three of the expansions I own now and not regret that. And so I did not buy Armada as a result of that. And I still have the other three, but you get the idea. Is it very much that's the opposite of Game of Thrones, where I don't give myself permission to buy that because it doesn't hold that special place. And so I, I need to get value out of it. And I'm not done. I, I think that's all it comes down to is are you going to get value out of it? I mean, um, you know, like I, I really love a lot of the expansions to older games that introduce solo modes that weren't originally available. Um, like that's really cool to me. Uh, like uh, Castles Ever. of Burgundy has a fantastic solo mode that required some additional materials. Now it's packed in with the new edition of the game, but uh, for a while it was only available as one of their mini expansions. Um, the the Between Two Castles, Mad King Ludwig originally didn't have a solo mode in the new expansion. Adds a bunch of cool new stuff for multiplayer, but it adds just a little bit of material in there that makes it a fully functioning solitaire game, which is banging. I love it. It's a really good solitaire game. Uh, so I'm always pleased to see when a, a game uh, expansion adds more function to it. Uh, and, you know, the, that that's meaningful if you're going to get value of out of it. So really your answer is, is perfect. Are you going to get value out of it? My be as critical as you would be with, with buying a new game in the first place. Don't let your love of the base game overshadow your, your good sense when it comes to adding another thing, because it's just as bad as, as adding new games. Totally. My, my takeaway from it at this point of, you know, are expansions good and, you know, answering the original question, um, you know, they do allow for a healthier industry, and I appreciate that. And because Kickstarter has become such an important cornerstone of our industry, and you could argue that it's been somewhat corrupted by these larger corporations coming in and kickstarting games that they don't need the Kickstarter mechanism in order to get these games made, but there are nonetheless a lot of companies out there that are smaller game companies that are still able to crowdfund games, get them made, and expansions are part of that infrastructure. Um, you know, if it empowers them in order to get the metrics they need to get games made, then more power to it. You know, a game that I love that uh, was a Kickstarter game from a very small company is uh, Adventure Tactics. Uh, I've been kind of really jamming on that lately. And if they needed expansions, to be part of that original Kickstarter in order to make it viable. And that was the only way that they were going to get that game made. Then, Hey, I can deal with that. And it does give more flexibility for us as consumers. 
Um, I think just like the purge conversation, you know, like you and I as old men gamers sitting in the back being like, listen here, young one, um, our wisdom to impart is don't feel like you have to complete everything. Not every expansion is going to be good and vote with your dollars. If you don't like day one expansions coming out, then don't support them. So long as they're being sold, so long as people are getting them, then people are going to keep on making them. Um, I, I am dubious as to the nature of expansions at this point. I feel like more and more board games have become platforms for expansions. And Franchising. Yeah, exactly. You know, companies are, are coming up with new board games and saying, what is the potential that I have for expansions um, when I sign this game? You know, designer, you're pitching a game to me? Great. Now tell me how many expansions ideas you have in mind so that way we can continue to support this game with annual or or biannual expansions to come out in order to make this a, a viable line uh so you know there is a degree of cynicism uh in me towards the ubiquity of expansions but the probably the the biggest point in favor of expansions to me is um as i've gotten deeper into the hobby uh, i found myself more and more longing for more intimacy with the games that i love the most rather than playing as many games as i possibly can so if expansions give me more legs to the games that i love um and give me more options with the games that i love uh, and i can have a smaller but deeper and richer uh collection of games then i'm totally in favor of that uh, but you know, then we have the terraforming Mars problem. Right. And, and, and that I would just agree with you on that is, um, just, and I see some of the comments out there about the day one expansions out in chat and, and I got to agree, you know, I, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. I try to assume that there's, you know, I, I look at a company and I know that they're, they're in their own best interest, right. But they're also making a game and, and hopefully there's a certain amount of passion that goes into that, that they want to make a good game. They're not just trying to make a dollar. They're also hoping to make a good product. So I do hope that that's the case, but I am very critical of day one expansions. They're not always bad. Sometimes they make practical sense. Sometimes they're things I want to buy, but because you know that the fear of missing out is such a powerful thing and you know that they're trying to sell you on that, you need to be extra critical of those. And expansions as a whole, I think, deserve maybe a little bit more of a critical eye than just buying new board games in some respects. But when they are good, they can be, they can be better in some ways like you said, than buying a new board game. It, it can bring you closer to the game you really love. As I look over your shoulder and see Wingspan, Wingspan uh, right behind <laughs> you there. Yeah, I got um, to have it all over here. But those came out subsequently. You know, those came out. And those are good expansions. And I, I do think being critical of it is important. Actually, on the Cardboard Herald, I don't know if you've heard of this channel, but on the Cardboard Herald, uh, that Schmuck uh, was reviewing some games recently, including Veil Wraith, which is a solitaire-focused game. And uh, the chief criticism of the game was that they, the, the, the box has it's such a great infrastructure and such a great system but the the initial offering is so slim and there was a simultaneously released expansion um which i'm going to get and i'm going to review but i don't have it right now and it kind of makes uh the the game seem flimsy 
uh, and like this all should have been included as part of the whole shebang. But again, you know, the Kickstarter tactics uh, need to, uh, you know, capitalize on separate releases. And um, to, to me, I think that that's an example of where you should be critical of this, uh, it, it feels nefarious when you buy a retail game and it looks like there's a big gaping hole in it because the content was m migrated over to an expansion. And then uh, uh, Adventure Tactics, I mean, I was going to end this by asking what the last expansion that you uh, bought was. Um, you know, I, I brought up that I really like Adventure Tactics. Uh, in the back of the rule book, uh, it, in the 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 job class book which the that's one of the main features of the game is there's all these different job classes that you can level up into and that's great but the job classes at the back say if you have the hero pack one then you can also level up into these three job classes and i was like oh i want to level up into those and so i ordered it which I don't feel like the, the base game is necessarily lacking for content in that regard, uh, but it, it does feel, um, it feels gross, I think, when you're referencing your expansion uh -huh. content in the base game <laughs> itself. Yeah, well, I'm Comet 2.0, Comet Blood and Sand, um, I was a little perplexed at first because I was looking at one of the boards and as I'm going through, you know, I'm packaging everything. And I'm going, oh, okay, take it all out, pump it, pop it all out and bag everything up. You know, the best part of honestly, the best part of buying a board game, right? The sorting and the sifting through all the pieces. Um, I noticed that on the player board, on the one of the player boards, it indicated a symbol mm -hmm. for like a seven. There was a sixth symbol there for a player icon. And I'm like, what the hell is this? I, and so I went back through all my pieces. I'm like, okay, well, we've got red, blue, green, black, and beige. And who's this who's this other dude and it's small enough that maybe i'm maybe i'm misreading it so then i flip through and i find the thing where it says oh there's an expand okay thanks yeah i don't feel like anything is missing from this box so i don't begrudge it at all but there is something about having pre-planned expansion components where you just look at that and go wait a minute have i been right. tricked right. whereas on the other hand i would complain just as much i'm just gonna put it out there in all fairness for game designers i would complain just as much if I had this awesome player board or reference board or whatever the board happens to be. And your expansion requires me to tack on like a little mini board. I just set it next to it. I always hated those. So I like having it all on one piece. Just, right. You know, right. I know, part of me, it feels like, damn it, now I have to buy it because now I've got it. It's referenced on the game pieces. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I, I, I guess, um, you know, we talked about like more stuff, expansions being, you know, adding more variety and, um, you know, like I, 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 I guess there is uh, an opportunity there for a company to say, we made an, an available, affordable version of this game. And if you want more, it's out there. We're trying to not overcharge you for that. That was my 4080 MSRP argument. That, yeah. that maybe there's a better price point to bring it in at. Totally. Um, and I think, um, you know, like, I, I don't know. I think that one thing that we haven't necessarily mentioned uh, is that uh, whether it's showing off to other people, like introducing a new game, uh, expansions can be intimidating. You did bring that up earlier uh, in the context of like uh, terraforming Mars and that kind of stuff. Uh, but also for me, 
when you have a collection of 50 to 100 games and you're playing all these different games and everything and you haven't dusted off a copy of something in say a year and you pull it out and you're like oh we can play with all the expansion and then you look at the rule books and you're like you know what let's just play base game i i don't want to relearn these expansions in order to play this game the once per year in which i'm playing it i got that feeling with bsg sometimes um you know like the some of the stuff was very easy to integrate and then some of the stuff was much more niche it was like learning ports in the game of thrones board game i know that wasn't expansions but there is a lot of you know uh uh esoteric stuff that sometimes is tucked away in expansions and it adds a level of complexity and a barrier to getting it to the table because you have to relearn this stuff which isn't fundamental to the core structure of the game um and, and so i i think that they can in some cases become deterrents to you playing your own games uh which i think is the argument for the more stuff expansion stuff that just seamlessly integrates into the the existing right. infrastructure which I saw a couple of comments in chat about that too, is, is that a um, couple of points out, Musar523 points out that, that the, uh, the day one expansion is benefiting if, if the game is heavier, that maybe the ex breaking it into an expansion, if you're not inclined to dive into it that deeply, then maybe it, it sets aside some of the heavier stuff out there. Um, Uncle Fester brought up a good counterpoint, actually made his own point and counterpoint, which I like. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's was a that, very John move right there. Yeah, I was like, I hate day one expansions. But here's the exception. Um, yeah. But but it was a good exception. Is that you know uh, modularity again? The creation of variety without complexity, where you can you're not really changing the base mechanics, so you can just okay. This time we're going to play with this group, and this time we're going to play with this group. Um, that's great. Tyrants of the Underdark is a game that just got a second edition that is incorporating that. The first edition had four. I'm my, my, my memory's blanking, and it's on my shelf. I should know this. I think it had uh, four I think faction you're the decks. only person who ever played Tyrants of Underdark, John. I hate to tell you this, but Not I... Not true. <laughs> it's it's the second best D&D board game out there next to Lords of Waterdeep. However, um, it came with these four faction decks, and you'd mix up two, and you'd play the game, right? Well, in the, one of the expansions, was well, like a $15 pack or something like that. It had two more, and it's such an obvious, well, duh. I mean, that's an easy thing to include, because when I opened the game, I just picked two mash them together and that's the deck that you play with for the game right well having two more does, just increases the the interest level without increasing any of the rules totally. um so yeah great option but i just will say that it's the same feeling at the shelf of shame well i have the hidden shame on top of that of opening a board game that i know that i can get the base game played but i look into the side of it here and there's oh look there's some expansion material off the side that i'm never going to get played because i'd have to get this game to the table two or three times in a row to get my group familiar enough again to get them all back in the swing to get the expansion played finally. Right, right. And so then, then you know, like we we have to get the the list of the board games that we need to play in order to get all the expansions on the table. And then I, I think you and I, we've already done on this channel, or I've already done on this channel, like a, a, a best expansions list. Um, but I, I think we need to specifically highlight in some sort of video like uh, you know, just run down the list of expansions that made big impacts on the games or like a good and bad examples, you know, like uh, that, that would be really interesting. Absolutely. Like here's the our best top, and worst. 
top 10 best and worst expansions. Uh, I think that would be a fantastic uh, video and we'd have a lot of good discussion and deliberation on that. Uh, but uh, I think we could talk about expansions forever. Uh, I think we could talk about games forever, which is why we're doing this whole thing. But we will save some of that chat for next time. Uh, for now, what's the most recent expansion that you bought or that you're planning on buying, John? Oh, you could put me on the spot. Why don't you tell me yours and I'll do what every good gamer does and go to his Amazon wish list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, most recently, I, I, because my characters are leveling up so quick in uh, the, the adventure tactics, I had to buy that hero pack one, which was pretty affordable for, for being slim content. You know, it was pretty affordable to get online. And then um, uh, coming up soon, uh, I'm pretty hot on the idea of Fort's Cats and Dogs expansion, not only because is that, you know, like a, a cool addition thematically to the game, and I also really like that as a tiny little deck building game, but it's more Kyle Farron artwork, and it's Kyle Farron artwork of adorable cats and dogs, so how can I resist? Um, those are great examples. I don't have good examples off the top of my head, mm -hmm. uh, because actually my most recent ones would be a lot of Marvel champions and Arkham Horror LTG, which again is great because it adds campaign for in some respects it adds campaign, which story material, that's an always easy to add one. If it's a story-based game and, and you play it consistently enough, well, then you're going to want more story. Um, it also adds deck building options and it adds the variety of adding new characters and things like that. So it's got all of the, the things that you really like about an expansion, but that it's an expandable game by design. So uh, let me just call out then, since I don't have goods, let me just call out on my Amazon wish list. I have a little side <laughs> wish list buried here. It's buried uh, that I haven't looked at in a while. And it's got some things on there. I've purged a few of these. It's got Seven Wonders Armada. It's oh, got the okay. June uh, Ixians and Telex. I can't pronounce it. You pronounce it. It's Talaxians. <laughs> Talaxians. Uh, or it's yeah. Talaxu. Uh, the, I can't pronounce uh, it when it's spelled Talaxu. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, like, we could get into Dune Lore side uh, podcast here, the Teliaxu, uh, or the Teliaxins, and there, there's also, like, different generations within the Galactic Empire. Are we talking about the time in which we're under the Lons route, or are we talking about the time under the God Emperor, in which case we've moved into the Bene Teliaxu as, like, a whole separate entity? It's a whole thing. They're the gross little goblin people who, you know, make, like, oxalotl tanks out of the women of their species. It's terrible. My point is, I also have I also have uh, the Cry Havoc expansion aftermath. Uh, so those are three expansions uh, that that are in my list that I will not be buying, and I'll be I'll be purging those from this list here. But at some point or another, the obsessive consumer part of me thought it was important enough that when I bought the game, the base game, I immediately went out to my Amazon wish list is just to kind of uh, keep an eye on it. Maybe if it goes on sale, I'll pick it up. Uh, and luckily, I never did because I I honestly wouldn't find any value in in all three of those. All right. A well, good case of being a good consumer. Yeah. Good on you, John. You I know. Pat yourself on the back. You deserve it. You deserve it. Look at you being responsible. We've become such responsible adults. Uh, you would have never guessed it if you came and played games with us 10 years ago. Well, Thank you, everyone, for participating. This has been a blast uh, to talk to you about this, John. Uh, for those of you who haven't joined the Discord, I highly recommend that you do that. It's a great way of talking to us and telling us how we're wrong about all these expansions, uh, as well as giving us topic ideas for future shows in which you'd like to see some discussion on or hear some discussion because this is also going up on the podcast channel. 
uh, always welcoming feedback, always welcoming ideas, uh, what you like, what you don't, put it in the comments, come to Discord, you can comment there, uh, and uh, we'd love to talk to you further. And I guess until next time, I've been Jack, he's been John. John, thanks for coming back onto the Cardboard Herald. We'll see you next time.